Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. In this episode, my guest is Hanif Perry and we'll be discussing generative art. Now, I've been interested in generative art for a while, but since I've joined the Proof Collective, I've been really digging into this kind of art and trying to understand how to value this type of NFT. Because previously I've been mostly involved with the PFP type of NFTs. So I'm interested to get some guests like Hanif. I have experimented with different kinds of uh, art purchases in the generative space. And I'm keen to learn what makes this type of art valuable. So we'll be discussing this and more with Hanif. So enjoy the episode. Before we start off, a few words from our sponsors. Did you know that with Ledin you can double your Bitcoin instantly through a B2X loan? Yes, the B2X service allows users to access a loan in dollars of equal value to the Bitcoin they have and automatically buy more Bitcoin in a single step. Register at start.ledin.io. Send your funds and you can receive a welcome bonus of $10 in USDC. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so uh, welcome to the show, Hanif. Glad to have you with us. Yeah, glad to be here. So I reached out to you on the Proof Discord because I got interested into generative art. This has been like a while back I got interested, but then I joined Proof to learn more. And then I saw the grails as we were discussing previous to the show and really got into things. And I was fascinated by especially some of the items and grails uh, the one with the Google Docs one. You remind me the names because I forget them, but it was absolutely amazing to see what artists can do. Absolutely. Yeah, the Graceland piece. Yeah, that was cool. So the objective for me to have you on today is to maybe teach us a bit about generative art. I know I have a, a lot of friends in NFTs, but most of us are focused on PFPs. But I sense that many would like and appreciate the generative art aspect, or let's say crypto art part of NFTs, but we don't really know how to value them or like how to go about them, no? Maybe we're too simple, <laughs> simple-minded. <laughs> I want to know if, I, if, if my level can reach there or if it's just beyond me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, um, yeah, I'm happy to share. And I think like many, I got into NFTs probably uh, early 2021. So January, February of 2021. Um, I got time. in through PFPs. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and really liked PFPs. But actually, the first PFP I bought was a derivative of a crypto punk. It was called uh, Picasso Punks. Um, so that was the first like actual PFP that I bought. And, you know, I realized like what at that point, like, you know, never buy derivatives. <laughs> was kind of was that a scam, that. an outright scam or? It wasn't a scam. It was just, you know, it was, you know, they're still trading, I think for, you know, somewhere between like, you know, 0 0.15, 0 0.25 ETH. I was paying, I think I paid one ETH for mine because um, they were minting at one ETH. Um, at that point, money, there weren't a money. lot of, yeah, there weren't a lot of projects on the, you know, being dropped on a regular basis. It's not like now where a project's dropping every five minutes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, it was kind of interesting. And, you know, at, the, at, the, at that time, CryptoPunks were really cheap, uh, but considerably more expensive than one ETH. And so, <laughs> so I was like, well, maybe this could be the next thing because it was combining some kind of algorithmic component with AI of Picasso's like work over a traditional 1000 crypto. CryptoPunks. And I like that the collection was smaller. So it better was kind than of just flipping it. Yeah, better than flipping it. But I've ridden the PFP boom for a while and, you know, obviously love PFPs. But, you know, for me personally, I think you start to appreciate the art component, um, specifically even within PFPs and, and, you know, generative art, I think just became like a natural place where your attention gets focused. So you know, seeing um, a lot of the good stuff that Artblocks was doing, like seeing Chromie Squiggles, um, seeing Fidenza from Tyler Hobbs. Um, at the time, I didn't know that those were generative. I didn't know how exactly those were created. Um, but you just kind of fall in love with the art and that starts to, to pull you in. And, um, and then, you know, over time, just started studying generative art, going deep, learning from uh, Tyler Hobbs has actually written a number of great essays on his website on long form generative art and a whole host of other topics. And so um, just getting deep in, into those, getting deeper into the art box community spending time on discords. I was in the kind of the, the GM 
uh, DAO and then, uh, you know, later uh, joined Grailer's DAO. And so just learning a little bit more um, and just really gaining an appreciation for the art. There's no real utility. It's just about the visual aesthetics and and how it makes you feel and and just you know an appreciation for the craft and and how much honing goes into you know the building of these algorithms and some are curated some are spontaneous and i think it's just really fun to see i don't know where should we start from maybe like should we start about the big artists the most famous ones or the most the, the yeah, we can start there. the most volume, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess some in the in the general. I mean, Tyler Hobbs has probably been the the most famous in terms of, you know, he's just he's done a lot of influential projects. I mean, his his most influential is arguably Fidenza, which I think is about a thousand collection, which dropped on Art Blocks, and um, we can spend time also talking about Art Blocks, um, which I think is a just a great. What you know, Eric Calderon and the team there are doing is is just tremendous for the space. Would you uh, say? You, sorry to yeah. interrupt. Would you say yeah. because generative art has has been around for a long time, as well as digital art? Uh, would you say art blocks marked the before and after the NFT involvement of the, these artists? Was it like what started the NFT boom for crypto art for crypto generative art? Yeah, it's interesting. So I think there's generative art and then there's kind of the art blocks version of generative art. And so if I got into really early generative art, you know, one of the more like seminal pieces that I have, uh, you know, three or four in my collection is, uh, crypto arte. That's Sebastian who hangs around in the proof discord. His is really good. He was basically using the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and based on, you know, different kind of miners, like validating transactions and, how much sort of throughput was going through the blockchain, he kind of did a color and shape combination. That was a 10,000 project that kind of got lost. You know, there was a number of early mints and it sort of got lost and then was rediscovered last year and, and, and minted out. But the cool thing about that is it's it's a generative pattern that's based off of just the transactions and the minor validation. And so, you know, you can actually pick uh, specific dates and timestamps on it. So like I got one from, you know, like a really nice Valentine's Day that I had with my partner and it just kind of a meaningful date range. And so one of the later ones that I collected was just kind of in that in that vein. But that's, you know, to me, that's probably um, some of the more er early generative art. And then I think what Artblocks achieved is Artblocks um, kind of achieved this this pattern where one, they're, they sort of eliminated the curation layer. So um, you know, I think it put a lot more onus on creators to hone their algorithms in a way that they could create these long form collections. But what actually came out is both a surprise to the person minting it as well as to the artist. Um, and so I think, I think art blocks kind of ignited that. And, you know, I, I think you've heard probably another, um, podcast just in terms of the way you know, Chromie Squiggles, which is the first project um, that was created on Artblocks and is almost a proof of concept for Artblocks itself. Um, but, you know, that that sort of, you know, created this kind of combination where if you had CryptoPunks, which is the earliest PFP, and then you've got, you know, Autoglyphs, which took CryptoPunks, but actually um, took it a step further in that it made it the process generative and it put the code right on chain because it, it was it was basically code-based art, you know, when Erica, I guess, was an early moderator in the CryptoPunks Discord and was kind of learning from these two Larva Labs projects. And so when to launch Artblocks, right, kind of had the gumption to put Chromie Squiggles, right, as that kind of first, first mint project. And so this whole notion of randomness and, you know, the theoretical 10,000 collection size, right, kind of mirrored and then the fully on-chain work. But then he added this element of surprise for both the collectors and the artists, which I think forced artists to kind of think about the way they build generative art a little bit differently because they used to generate a lot of outputs and then curate the ones that, that really kind of, you know, meant something or, or, or had uh, an a aesthetic or a quality that they felt was worth selling. And, and that changed the game a lot. And so, so that's what makes Artblock so interesting. And then, you know, I think Tyler Hobbs Fidenza was one of the earlier projects, not the earliest, but one of the earlier projects onto the platform. Um, and I think, you know, that and along with, you know, like, um, uh, you know, Dimitri uh, Cherniak's um, kind of work with um, Ringers as an early project, like some of those more influential pieces of work, which become these really recognizable 
like thousand uh, piece uh, collections um, really kind of push that narrative forward and people start to see them and the art can really resonate with people and they want to hold them. And so that's probably the earliest model. And then if you stepped way, way back, right, you've got generative art. And why I think it's so interesting as a category is because you've got generative art that was created in the early like 1950s as computers, um, you know, started becoming tools that, you know, people were using and, but it was very programming based. So like, it's not like artists could actually physically move through that. And so, you know, then fast forward, you've got Ben Fry and Casey Reyes, um, who are building a program called processing. Um, and I think they spent years developing this as like a little bit of a, a skunk works project, but what processing does, which is so interesting is it actually simplifies the code um, that um, artists can use. And so it's a way of kind of leveling the playing field between like left brain and right brain talent. And so artists, right, can actually move and program code into digital art that now can be fully on chain. And then you've got on the other side, programmers who can actually drive expression through art. And so I think it's this interesting kind of language that, you know, creates a middle ground where, you know, two, two traditionally different people can actually now produce art. And I think that's that's been a huge accelerant into kind of the generative art movement. Okay, so we mentioned some of the big names, you know, Dmitry Cherniak, uh, Tyler Hobbs, mentioned Eric. Snowfro, oh, there's no? so many. Eric yeah, <laughs> yeah. Snowfro, yep. Um, How do you see, like, uh, is there some ranking or, because these are famous, I've heard of these, I heard of them earlier on. But then when I'm, I was looking at the grails, I started to discover others which I hadn't really heard of, but were apparently, and I checked the rankings for volume and they were up there in the top 10 as well. Is there any kind of distinction that you see between like the more popular ones and the others that generate a lot of volume, but maybe are not household names within the NFT space? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, this is an interesting time. So part of why I think Tyler Hobbs is, is so famous in my left brain, right brain analogy is like, I think he embodies a little bit of both. When you hear him talk about his upbringing, right, he was trained in painting and he loves to paint. And he even thinks Fidenza, the perfect medium for that is through like a painted kind of image or a printed image um, versus a digital display. Um, and if you've seen them, right, like in that kind of vein and you watch him paint those, it's, it's actually quite beautiful. But he also, before he had the gumption to kind of go launch his art career was a programmer and he learned that by trade. And so I think he, he sort of embodies, right, this kind of intersection of both worlds. And I think it gets reflected in the quality and the thinking and the thought that gets put into his work. And I think that's why he's kind of propelled his brand into a whole nother ethos in terms of generative art. But um, I think there are a lot of, I mean, I think that we're, we're really early and there's a lot of kind of interesting people to watch. Like, you know, I bought a, a Casey Reyes, which I, I love, and it, it's part of, you know, his art blocks, um, art blocks curated, which is the highest level of art blocks, but, you know, really affordable <laughs> around one ETH. And, you know, knowing what he did right for the generative art movement is it's kind of symbolic of that. And, you know, I think there, he's got a playground piece as well that I bought, which is, you know, maybe a third of an ETH, but, um, but so, you know, there's some really interesting kind of historical significance to owning like an artist like that. And then you've got like a lot of really cool up and comers and the community around generative art is, is really small. So like, I really love Ben Kovac's work. Um, I bought an edifice. I think it's just awesome. And there's just like something like, so I love the kind of the, the building facade component and just like the, the kind of pastel, like, um, you know, eggshell wash over a lot of the pieces in that collection, just really interesting. There's just so many people to watch. Matt Kane with Gazers, I think is another one. Jeff Davis, who actually works for Art Blocks, I think does some really cool stuff. Uh, Construction Token was like, I think one of his early pieces, which was really influential, but he actually launched a collection called Rhythm, Art Blocks Playground, I believe. And that, you know, the design of that really speaks to me. So I think there's just, I think there's just so much out there that's, that's really interesting. And I love that these collections are small enough. So like oftentimes a thousand or fewer pieces. Um, and you can identify the piece and the artist and the collection 
which I think is, is, is really, really cool. We think about the investment side of things. Maybe we can take the Bank of X edifice as an example. They start off with a Dutch auction, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, in our blocks, yeah. How do you, for example, just take this one as an example. What was the evolution of the price? Just yeah, starting so from mint, I, and then does it does it typically yeah. go up or like it gets forgotten? Because I've seen liquidity <laughs> is sometimes a problem as well in many yeah. of these projects. Yeah, and this the investment side is interesting, right? Because I think um, I think there's kind of a couple things happening that actually influence kind of the investor mind space around generative art right now. One is I think the community is really small. And there's a prolifer- proliferation of art being developed relative to the size of the community. That's to be expected, right? Because you've created a technology that is so advantageous for artists, but collectors, I think, really haven't sort of grasped what that technology is. And so I think there's a lot of volatility um, in terms of the price movement on generative art. And that's why I think buying into you know some of the more seminal pieces, um, if you believe this kind of category of art is going to grow as a whole, I think is an amazing opportunity um, if you're a long-term collector. But I think trying to, you know, chase, right, these really short-term gains that are, um, you know, the pumps and and PFPs um, is probably the wrong kind of mental model for generative art because you don't get as much hype cycle because it's more about the collection than it is about the community. And I think that's just kind of the the intrinsics of this. But for like a project like, um, you know, Edifice, I don't remember exactly where the Dutch landed. Maybe it was more than one ETH. I, I, I'd be speculating, but I do remember that there was quite a lot of price action after it minted. Um, so you know, you had a huge pump, you know, to a high multi ETH floor because I remember trying to get in, and I was like, wow. Um, and I think even the lowest the floor got at one point was still like well above four ETH. And so I just kind of stood on the sidelines and, you know, I think I bought my piece maybe six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, and the market was really soft, but the floor is really thin. So like, I think there were probably like fewer than 20 pieces (laughs) on sale for like under 10 ETH, right? Or something like that. Um, So the floor is really thin. Most, Most of the collectors are holding. And so I was just waiting patiently until I found a piece that spoke to me like and put a, a an offer below four and lucky enough to get the offer. And so I kind of think about it with more of a long-term horizon. I'm, you know, sort of betting on Ben doing great things as an artist. And um, and the piece speaks for me. I'm I'm literally buying it for the art. But I do think there's an opportunity um, to get into um, some of the earlier pieces like Chromie Squiggles or if you got a ringer or some of those where I, I think there, there's going to be really awesome investment upside um, for people who are patient enough. Makes sense. So if we approach it from a purely investment side, it's uh, versus PFPs, say one is more short term, maybe higher risk. And the art sector would be longer term, perhaps lower risk because you're also betting on people who are dogs. They're very public figures, typically. Not all of them, of course. You're betting on them keeping up the good work over a number of years. And that would eventually raise the, the floor, so to speak, of their earlier works as well. And you know, I think I think the other kind of disadvantage um, with generative art is that it's kind of uh, new, and so you know, it's the same way when artists change the tools that they use, right? Like people used to paint on wood, and then when canvas came out, like they thought it was blasphemous to paint on canvas because why would you paint on something that is not as durable as wood and canvas became the standard, right? Artists have moved from oils to acrylics and now you've got kind of digital arts and generative arts and programming languages are kind of the oil and uh, canvas of our time. And so I think artists are going to create with the tools that they can express themselves the best and that um, they can build a career around. And, And I think that's, you know, I think it's, it's taking like, you know, traditional art schools aren't necessarily teaching, you know, you go to Rhode Island School of Design or, you know, Yale Art Schools. Like, you know, I doubt generative art are a big part of their curriculum and, you know, the tools that are being used to actually teach artists how to develop work. And then you've got the whole gallery side of this and how are galleries and influential um, sort of cultural places adopting 
right, this type of work. And so it's it's a little bit of a different model for you know generative art to get sort of widespread adoption and acceptance. That's where I think it just needs a little bit more time. Um, so you know, I think the work that people at Art Blocks are doing, I think, is phenomenal for the space. And you know, I think you see certain galleries like Sotheby's uh, or, or well, I guess they're more not a gallery, but they're more <laughs> they're art curators and auction houses. But you know, they're they're getting into the space in a really interesting way. And so I think more of that's going to happen, right? The same way you know, Bitcoin is sort of gaining its narrative, and it's it's it, you know, there's a little there's a lot of rejection and there's a lot of kind of naysaying, but I think generative art is under a very similar movement. And so I think if you're, if you appreciate the art and you're patient and you've got a long enough time horizon, I think it could be a, a really interesting investment. Would you advise, or is it your strategy to double down on a specific set of artists or are you always on the lookout for new pieces? From whoever they are. Yeah. So I, as a general rule, like with NFT trading in, in general, like, you know, I definitely want to take bets on things that I think have meaningful stories or meaningful potentials. I don't think necessarily being the oldest means that you're going to be the most valuable only because I think that it's, it's really about disrupting things and thinking differently or engaging community or building something that's aesthetically beautiful. I think the story matters a lot for me personally, like There's a lot of piece like the crypto arte I talked about earlier. That's you can find those really cheap, right? Like under under 0.15 ETH um, on OpenSea, and it's it's surprising to me because they're they're they are one of the earliest forms of you know generative art that I know of, and they're pretty finite. But you know it's it just it hasn't broken through the cultural layer, um, so it's largely kind of viewed as an artifact, right? Versus you know a true piece of art. Um, although I happen to love the aesthetics of them. So I, I always try to buy on the aesthetics first, um, making sure that I like the piece. And then I, I try to think about which pieces are going to be very, very significant or which artists are going to be very, very significant. And so, you know, like whether that's doubling down on Chromie Squiggles, because I, you know, really believe in art blocks long term. And I think in a, in a lot of ways, squiggles are so simple in terms of just kind of like a little signature motif that, You know, it doesn't matter which squiggle you're looking at, you know, it's a squiggle and, you know, it's part of art blocks and it's just becoming this recognizable symbol that I think is going to have a lot of long-term cultural relevance. And then I do think like a lot of these earlier, really creative pieces of work, you know, whether, um, you know, that is like a Fidenza or a Gazers or, you know, maybe an edifice or, um, you know, any number of things. I think those are going to be the ones that people find valuable in the long term. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I struggle right now to see how, if you compare two printed pieces of art hanging on a wall in public, I mean, if you put a CryptoPunk versus one of these generative art projects, I think most people will go for the CryptoPunk as the most <laughs> recognizable of the two. But I think it's important, yeah, that we recognize that maybe they never get to that level of popularity. But we're still early in the in the generative art, in the awareness of, of the general public, I would say. Yeah, and I think on the printing side of it, I mean, I obviously think that's another um, area. It's There's the adoption piece of this, but then it's like the behavioral piece of this. And, you know, I, you, know you, you see, you know, like the, the Bankless podcast guys, I forget which one has this, this crypto punk in the background. But I think at a certain point, like that's, It's great for a PFP, but like whether you want that to be the art inside your home is is kind of a different question. And so there's uh, Stefano Contierno, who's like a, a generative artist and very talented and an up and comer. He did a, a you know curated and playground piece for Art Blocks, but he also is now um, redoing the actual token that you have for Grailers DAO. So everyone's going to get. Um, every token holder of the 999 token hold tokens out there will get a unique piece from Stefano Contierno. But he he actually does these kind of open editions. And so I was emailing back and forth and got one from from him. And he was like, well, how do you want to print it? He gave me recommendations exactly how to print it. And you see the dimensions and the size. like So you can print these like so beautifully in any size because it's all code based, right? So if you want to render the image much larger or smaller, um, that's the beauty of generative art and you can do these beautiful prints. But I also think 
the screen technology is going to evolve a lot. So, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that are working on um, some really interesting ones out right now that I'm, I'm con- considering buying. But I think if we wait another two years, that's just going to evolve so tremendously where the power consumption is really low and the ability to kind of switch art and display. Um, so rather than have a physical piece of art behind me, I can have a screen and rotate through like my generative art collection. I think that's going to become the norm. And so I think we're, we're a couple of years out from that, but I think when that happens, I think it's going to be a more of a mainstay in the home and whether it's like, you know, even the Samsung frame TV is kind of an early addition of, of, of that technology being displayed in the home. And it's like, do you want their canned photography or would you rather display something, you know, beautiful that's unique in a one of one that you own? So yeah, for sure. Um, I, I love printing, printing the, even the PFPs that I buy. I just love printing them in a way I buy based on the aesthetics as well, which is not uh, perhaps the most intelligent way to buy PFPs because most people just buy floors and then they flip them. (laughs) I kind of fall in love with each one I buy and then I print them and kind of enjoy them. So for me, printing and being able to visualize them every day is very important, I would say. And that was maybe what's held me back from buying some of the more animated kinds of generative art because there's no way to print it, obviously. You need the aerial display that that can change you. I don't know if my wife will ever allow me to do the digital ones because she's (laughs) against (laughs) children watching screens. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get there when they grow older. (laughs) Well, I was at the Squiggle Gallery and so they, they had these squiggles, like it was a partnership with with Infinite Objects. So Adam Lindemann, who's a, he's the I guess the gallery owner, he wanted these displayed in his Venus Over Manhattan gallery. So I went there in person on the opening night, and I was just I, you know I haven't really seen the Infinite Object frames before, and they, they they were in all different sizes, and it was stunning. It was beautiful. And so just to see like an interactive display like that was was pretty compelling. So uh, you start to see more and more of it and what's possible. And I think I think you'll you'll, you'll change your mind. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, if, if we have like the e-ink uh, that's used for the Kindles in color, I think that would be, I don't know if these are similar, but yeah, that would be amazing because Absolutely. I don't like the idea of like a screen. Like the light, the backlight, backlight. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the gray layers DAO, and in general, we've been seeing a lot of DAOs, collector DAOs. So I think let's start. Why? What's the scope for these kinds of DAOs? And then we can talk about gray layers in particular, also because I'm interested in joining myself. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So you know, I think the scope is people are recognizing. So there's there's a couple interesting ideas here, which is probably why I'm bullish on you know NFTs in general. I think NFTs are, are a way of tokenizing the whole internet of value. And so to me, I think in, in a lot of ways, that's a, it could be a much bigger idea than even the protocols themselves. And, you know, despite me owning Ethereum and Bitcoin and some of the uh, other um, sort of layer ones or, or layer twos, you know, I, I, I love that stuff, but I, I think the NFT is the cultural layer and it's it's everything we we see, we live, we interact. It's a way to engage fans. It's a way to, you know, reward creators. And so I think that's a much bigger idea um, over time. And I think people are recognizing that there are these kind of early already blue chip assets that exist within this ecosystem, um, many of which are, are um, out of reach for the average consumer, but will become increasingly more valuable as demand in the space right gets bigger and more people get wallets and more people you know quote unquote come online and so i think DAOs are an interesting mechanism that are being birthed as part of right this whole internet of value and it creates um two two fundamental things in my mind one is um the whole notion of teamwork and cooperation um, in a very decentralized way around a very specific set of shared interests. Um, I think Constitution now is a great example of that, even though it failed. Um, but it's, it's, it's quite incredible. And I think over time, right, you know, you might see Dallas buying professional sports teams. You're going to see a whole lot of interesting, um, things 
Um, you know, and I think there's an element of decentralization that obviously doesn't work. So by no means am I a decentral maxi because some of these staffs can't even tie their shoes because they need to create voting mechanisms and structure and operating models and all the things that kind of plague uh, DAOs today. But I think the, you know, the, the asset accumulation side of it is really interesting. And so, um, you know, Kevin and Proof is a member of Flamingo DAO, but I think it's a way for, you know, people to get together and pool off of each other's collective wisdom and buy assets and create identity around those assets. And then, you know, in Flamingo DAO's case, they're now kind of dropping their own pieces of art and curating their own artists. Um, and so, I think it's it's just a it's a it's a tool to collaborate and share and exchange value, and I think it's it's a new technology that I think is 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 tremendously fascinating. I think many DAOs, um, you know, Fingerprints DAO, I think bought a, a lot of um, autoglyphs and MeBits, they have a bunch of other stuff, but you know, it's just a way for people to work together and kind of control um, supply in a really credible and interesting way, and. You know, bet on the market as a collective, which I think is 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 a really interesting model. I guess I get the community aspect. That's awesome. I've been enjoying being part of Proof. I still struggle to get the collective ownership part in a DAO, especially since there isn't yet the legal structure to enforce that. Right? Yeah. Is there's is there some kind of understanding that as members of the DAO we all own these collectively, but even in that case. How do I derive the value as a holder? You know, like if I sell the token, that's it, you know, or yeah. my token is the one that shows the value right now of all I have. Yeah, I think I think that'll be an interesting thing to see the way the space shakes out. I'm by no means a legal expert, but there's a couple of things, right? So like um, when you get into Flamingo DAO, um, those have uh, tighter legal structures in terms of parada ownership, but, you know, those have to be under 100 people. Um, and, you know, I think they have to kind of screen them for accreditation as investors. And so I would imagine that the legal work is, is a little heftier. Some of the other DAOs that are forming like Grailers DAO or Squiggle DAO, where you have much bigger um, communities around those. In the case of Grailers, the NFT is meant to be kind of your, your pro rata ownership. I think, you know, they've, you as a community have voting rights, you kind of elect who are your kind of multi-sigs. Um, so the different people who can kind of sign and, and execute transactions on behalf of the DAO. Um, but, you know, your kind of token corresponds to your vote. And so I think, I think a lot of the intentions, so that I think they've got nine of Tyler Hobbs's incomplete controls in their treasury, but the intention is that that the DAO um, collectively owns those. And so I think right now what they're struggling with is, is how do you work through the, the legal work so that the ownership becomes a lot more direct. But it's a concept I think that many of us are, are kind of used to. So like if you bought a share of Alibaba, right? Like given the re- way the kind of regulations work in, in China, you actually don't directly own a piece of the company. And so there's just, you know, it's it, there, there are many mechanisms where Ownership feels direct, but it's not direct. And I think, I think part of it is is kind of working through the legal constraints that exist or that don't exist, right? To provide clarity around how to do this in a way that doesn't put people at risk. And so that's kind of the you know my best <laughs> explanation of the intention of some of these. But you know, for Grailers DAO, right? Like the people that started it are, for, are, are docs people, and they're well-respected um, collectors, or some of them are docs, but um, they're well-respected collectors in the community. And so I think, you know, there's obviously always an element of trust <laughs> in these arrangements, um, but, but you know, seems to be a, a pretty pretty authentic community around, around generative art so far. Yeah. Mm. Have you seen any reflection in the price of the tokens as more artwork gets accumulated in the DAO? No, and that's interesting, and that's why that's why I think it's such a, a buy opportunity. So, like, if you've got, uh, you know, nine, you could do some basic math on on what the residual value is, but you know, uh, incomplete control is was only a hundred piece series. The floor on those are much higher than Fidenza's, <laughs> and you've got you know nine pieces in the treasury and nine hundred ninety nine tokens, and so. 
it seems pretty obvious that there's going to be some residual value. And then if your token becomes, you know, an NFT work by, um, you know, Stefano uh, Contero is also an art blocks curated <laughs> artist, right? Like there's kind of residual value and then you've got the community um, piece of it. So I think if you wanted to do just like, um, like what's the asset value of this, you would be surprised at how, how maybe undervalued, right? Some of these community memberships are, you know, and I think, I think, um, the same, same might be true for SquiggleDAO. Like, you know, when those tokens become available, just their treasury, treasury alone, I think they have over 300 squiggles in their treasury. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, probably some of the rare um, squiggles that they've been choicely acquiring. Um, so I think, I think that aspect of it will become interesting. I think there's just, there's too much focus on uh, instant liquidity and quick flipping. And, and so sometimes I think people don't really value things with a, you know, a traditional, like logical valuation model. They're just, they're just going off of the hype cycle or the meme cycle. Yeah, I actually like proof because I think they nailed the model uh, very well and and how they structured it. So I think the value of the token is not necessarily tied to any collective DAO element, so to speak. There is the fact that the money they collect from the drops and the initial sale went into a community coffer, which hasn't been touched, save for paying some employees, I believe. So there's that element that you can see the amount of eat growing there, and that can be reinvested into the community. And then there's the airdrops that can, that have come out and have benefited. So you can imagine and plan ahead. There's the conference. So I, I kind of like that model, or at least it's more easy to understand for me yeah. from a token value perspective. Yeah. And I think, I think proof is interesting, right? Cause of the project, but I, you know, where my head goes is like, I think we're used to valuations with, with goods that are a lot more fungible, even if they're non-fungible. So meaning like I collect watches or I collect wine, right? Like these are arguably, you know, somewhat non-fungible in a way. Um, but Rolex is going to keep coming out with Submariners every year, right? Domaine de la Romani Conti is going to keep coming out with vintages every year. And the size and scale of their production is a little bit opaque. Like they don't tell you exactly how many cases are being made and where the what's what's consumed, what's not consumed, right? What's sitting in a warehouse in France, what's actually sitting in the US. Like none of that stuff is really well known. And so, but yet people are still paying thousands of dollars and, and well above kind of market value, despite the fact that you could trade down to an Omega and get a really well-built watch. But it's it's really about the kind of the scarcity of these things that drive, you know, different price elasticities that we can't imagine. And so when you introduce blockchain and a known sort of measure on supply with no new introduction on that series, it's kind of interesting to see how price inelastic people are and as they hold, how that can move pricing so dramatically. And I think that's kind of a big idea and uh, something that's really, really new. And I think that's why Board Ape has done so well. That's why CryptoPunks have done so well. That's why DAOs are forming to buy <laughs> pristine assets, right? It's like, how do you get into pristine and what is the supply demand model look like, right? And even proof at 40 ETH, the floor is really thin. So all it takes is 10 rich people to want to get in and now we're at a new floor. <laughs> so I think yeah, I sure. think I think that's just I mean, an during, interesting during the last day I've seen it go from what 35 to 50 almost in one day. Yeah, and I, I think I exactly and I think um you know I think 98%, 99% of NFT projects will go to zero, but I think if you can spot the right ones and understand what what's possible, like from a supply demand construct, I think. You, you know, it might be surprising how high how high some of these go, right? If there was already a proofers DAO that was formed around to buy a proof pass, right? So it's kind of it's kind of interesting, and I I don't think we've ever existed in a world with like digital assets that we can move across in one native currency an instant, right? Uh, like something that's highly liquid, arguably more liquid than than cash um, in some respects, and um, and then you've got really interesting non fungibility interesting supply constraints. And so, you know, pricing on the right assets could arguably go parabolic, right? Like it's, it's really hard to know. Like, I don't, I don't think we've existed in a world with this kind of price discovery before. So. Yeah. And uh, I think coming back to the Grailers uh, argument, I think it's all about collective belief and awareness, right? Because I think 
if you tell me you own a Fidenz or whatever other big artworks they're holding, I will recognize it. But Grailers, I actually heard about it from you. So <laughs> to me, it would like be a zero value versus I know it's around like a lot, 100 ETH, you know, floor. So, but when you do the calculation, you figure it out, of course, that Grailers would have value, even though we have to keep in mind that there are legal aspects and all that. But I think people just don't make the connection between the two, right? Yeah. That's the main problem. And for me, it was more about Grailers DAO was more about my interest in generative art and, you know, looking through some of the people that were in the community and some of the, the biggest generative art collectors, the biggest collectors of Tyler Hobbs's individual pieces. And so for me, it was more about getting closer to that community and using that as a sounding board or a learning opportunity. Um, I think the, the bonus was actually the residual value that they had at Treasury that owned, right? Some of these grails. And I think the opportunity is like, you know, as they get organized and as they get more focused, you know, again, to that decentralized nature, I think some of the possibilities could be really interesting, right? Like 999 members, like that would be awesome for some amazing artists to do a long form generative exclusive drop for that community or like some IRL utility or something like that. So I, th I just, I, I think that I'm kind of betting on it a little bit more long term. And I, I think them having access to a pristine treasury of, of really amazing pieces to me is a signal that they're thinking about it long term as well. And um, so I think, you know, it was more of like a mutually aligned interest that, you know, they're not as active as the proof community. It's, it's maybe a little like. Which one came first? Uh, that's a good question. I think Railers actually may have preceded proof. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, much better execution team on proof. But again, like the proof community is not decentralized. I mean, the community is, but the, the, the creators are centralized. I think that's part of the struggle with DAOs is, is um, I think at the end of the day, you need leaders who are going to bring a vision forward and, and move an agenda. And I think I think that's that's you know what I'm seeing in a lot of these DAOs right now is like how do you how do you kind of build that leadership to execute on behalf of the community? Yeah, I think in the case of proof, I think having Kevin Rose and Ryan Carson at the helm, it's obviously a huge bonus because every know everybody knows who they are and they're willing to put their trust in them, just like Gary V has no problem growing his project because of who he is and what he's done. I think like a 20 year trajectory already delivering good stuff. So if, like in, in Gary V's case, although I might not like the style of his delivery of speech and everything, I would still bet on him just because he's some an insane hustler and I know he, he cares about uh, his audience. So yeah. Yeah, it's no, an easy bet to make. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's impressive. I mean, it's impressive, like the inertia that the friends has and the inertia that the Proof Collective has, and just the vision of the leadership and the team and how fantastic they are. It's great. How, how do you classify Gary V's art? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I actually did. I, I liked. <laughs> well, his sketches are terrible, but I, I did. I, yeah, but I, I, I love his alliteration, and I love the the way he's thinking about character development. I think he's just a guy that, you know, doesn't care what uh, people think and is working hard to kind of push his agenda. And so I appreciate how open and candid he is. I wish, you know, I wish I regret that I didn't get into his projects earlier. I, I think I had the opportunity to mint and was sort of like, is, is this like a pump and dump or is there something here? And I think what um, what's pretty evident is that he cares deeply about his community and he cares deeply about his reputation and he he wants to build. And I think that's fantastic. So yeah, I'm probably I'm probably more of a Kevin Rose guy. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, um, honestly, when I when I'm in doubt, I like to bet on people who I feel are most similar to me because I can understand <laughs> their frame of mind. You know. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but I've heard the series too of Gary V will uh, will have different artwork. Yeah. So, so I think he enlisted um, like uh, help from artists as part of that drop, and I think the existing series holders will upgrade. Uh, there's some upgrade mechanics from what I've heard, but I think what's more important though is that he he's really pushed the community and the utility angle, and so in some ways the art is kind of irrelevant, right? It's the same way. 
our proof passes are pretty fungible looking and you know like the art is cool but it's not like something that we'd hang up or you know put as our our banner background you know i think i think it's not about the art it's like the community and the 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 real life utility that makes it so powerful so yeah i mean right now i'm very interested in buying pieces where i can treat them as a product i can benefit right away like improve personally as long as it retains the value I paid for it. I'm already happy. You know, I don't need it to appreciate because the value I get from the community is already great. Versus PFPs where you're just buying it, maybe you hang it if you're crazy enough like me. But really, you're just waiting for it to appreciate. And that's it, you know. You go to the Discord, it's all talk about price. What's the next teardrop? To me, it's not very kind of satisfying. <laughs> on a human level no it's just yeah like price 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 well i i think as more people enter the space their creativity will grow so like one of the things that i notice is you know like right now it's a lot of fast follow a lot of fast follow and then everyone's trying to do the same stuff so it's like hey this community has a really active discord and that's really great or this community is gonna kind of become friends with other communities and we're gonna get whitelist opportunities and so everyone's kind of following the same formula or it's like, we're going to create, uh, we're going to buy land and decentral land and, you know, invest in making your PFPs 3d. It's like, it's the same kind of re replicated formula. And I think, I think what people need to do is kind of step back and say, what's the lane that I own and how do I build something really meaningful in that lane? And I think when you see like a V friends or you see what proof collective is doing, like they're, they're, they're just kind of on a different wavelength. And, and so that's why I think, you know, as you spend more time in the space and, and some things are just art, like, and that's great, like make beautiful art and, you know, appreciate it and find a way to enjoy it, you know, find a way to buy things that speak to you and hold them long-term. And, you know, if you, if, if you're worried about the value mechanics, then buy better art that's more meaningful and more blue chip and that it's going to retain value better than a lot of other drops. But at a minimum, you're getting something you like, you know, and the same thing, you know, I think photography is coming online with what quantum art is doing. And I think that's really interesting, but they're blending sort of the, you know, the, the quantum keys. I don't know if you minted one of those, but the, I think no, the IRL utility. Yeah. yeah, the IRL utility is going to be, I know you're in Europe, so maybe um, it's, it's a little ways from, from, from making its way there. But the IRL utility, I think, is going to be a really interesting uh, component to that ecosystem. But I think, you know, more and more these projects are going to lean into real utility they're going to focus a lot more. So you've already got like fitness projects creeping up. I saw one for um, a winery that's going to be kind of Web3 native. And so I think you'll see that people are going to bring the creativity into creating like real world utility under Web3 principles. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm really excited about. So yeah, same here. Have you seen a fitness one? I'm interested in finding. Yeah, that. there's there's one. Uh, I think it's called Move. I was found out about it through Zeneca's. Uh, I'm in his three 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 community, but so he was posting on it. Um, it's, it's I might be wrong on the name. I thought it was Move, but it could be something else. But um, but it's kind of interesting. I mean, they're 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 making it so that you know the the pass gives you access to coaching, training, diet information, you know, classes on demand. Um, I'm sure they're going to, there's, there's going to be like a, like a mobile app component that's already under development, but then you can actually just sell the utility of your pass. And so, um, it's like, imagine paying for the gym membership once. And when you're done working out, just selling it off to someone else. But, um, so I think that there's kind of some interesting utility in, in, in that type of a model. Um, but, um, that's, that's that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's lots of potential for sure. So, so what do you think about like something like X copy would that wouldn't classify as generative art with it? Yeah. I'm not exactly sure how he, how he makes his art, but I, I, I don't, I'm not sure if he's layering in like uh, Adobe software or like exactly how he makes his art. I don't, I don't know if that's, that's truly generative. But I really admire XCopy's work. <laughs> I was uh, I was trying to maybe mint one of the open collections yesterday, but then I realized that it was like five thousand people had minted at one ETH. <laughs> I was like, wait, maybe I'll buy on secondary. So I'm 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 you know patiently waiting. I really like uh, XCopy's art though a lot. I think I think a lot of um, you can see a lot of the more modern styles of art that are being modeled off of the work that he he's done, and so. I think he's just going to be seminal in the space for 
just being like an early mover, like he was creating art on blockchains that don't even exist anymore. And so, you know, I, I, I was excited to see how much interest there was in that open mint yesterday. I think there was over 7,000 pieces minted at over uh, at one ETH, which was incredible. And so I, you know, I, I think people like X copy are going to push this space forward. And, you know, if you fall in love with his work, um, or if you fall in love with the people, like you're going to start going down the rabbit hole in the NFT space and really finding um, other really awesome artists um, that exist in the space. So um, eventually I'd like to get a next copy. Um, so it's, it's definitely on my, on my uh, blue chip list, um, but, you know, slowly working my way uh, to better and better art. How do you think of like, because there's an X copy, is there in Grails? I'm not sure. No, there is was there? no X copy in Grails. Not, in the end no. there was not. But yeah. how do you think of like, is there a danger of some artworks staying hidden within a small collection like Grails? Uh, we're seeing some of them, some of the Grails go lower in price. Um, where probably if they were like in the main collection of that artist, they would be much more popular, say. Is there that risk of some artworks getting lost just because they're placed in a specific collection? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, so. I think there's um, there's a couple of thoughts that are nestled into that. So I think I think um, for sure the, the the short answer is yes. But um, I you know I think with with Grails in particular for proof Grails for the Proof Collective, I think Proof is is still a, a relatively unknown unknown brand, right? So I think Proof X Y Z and Kevin's podcast obviously has a lot of traction in small communities. But then Proof Collective as a, a pass and then Grails as a project is, is still relatively unknown. And so I think there was a lot of hype and energy around the mint process and the reveal and a lot of euphoria of people um, adjacent to the community who really wanted to get in and, you know, they buy and then, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, I bought this thing and now the floor has gone down and do I exit? Do I sell? Like, what do I do? And so... That creates um, a lot of sell pressure, and so I think that I, I sort of expected that in a lot of ways. And you know, there are some grails that I have my eye on, and I you know would love to get back in at the right price because I I really love the project, and I think long term it's going to be successful. Um, but I, again, that's this is this short term price movement that you just there's so much volatility in the NFT space, and sometimes you just need to take a longer um, time horizon with this stuff. And everything is always about entry price, so I always. You know, you don't want to ape into things like you want to kind of buy things with a rational, rational mind if you're specifically committed to, to long term holding. But I think what Grails, so Grails in one way is, is going to be the early, you know, piece and the seminal drop for Proof Collective. So a part of it is attached to Proof Collective. And then I think the individual pieces are attached, um, you know, long term to the success of the artist. I think they are open mints, um, but open mints and much um, uh, more finite supply. So like if, you know, fewer than a hundred people minted the wall, right? Like, you know, you have a Tyler Hobbs uh, kind of open edition that's, that's fairly capped, right? Um, versus, you know, an X copy that got minted 7,000 times, right? And so there are some supply demand mechanics. And so sometimes when you get into to our earlier conversation around the long form generative art, every piece in the collection is different, but it's still a part of a, a, a kind of an identifiable collection. And so in a way you're getting one of ones in a community of a thousand, which I think is a really interesting dynamic because that community can get excited. It can generate their own excitement. Rich people can be a part of that community. Um, Non-rich people who just really like the art and got in at the right place can be a part of that community. And there's a community aspect to it. I think Rails has some of that. Um, but you know, when you're when you're doing kind of more open editions, you start to you actually are in semi-fungible art, right? Like it's it's not a one-of-one anymore. It's it's a one of a hundred. And and I think in that semi-fungible space. You know, I have to believe that the non-fungible will always be infinitely more valuable. But then you put the kind of the brand and you know the artist on top of that, and you know that's that's kind of the equation in my head. So yeah, makes sense. So I mentioned a lot of stuff. Just to wrap up, um, first of all, I have like three questions here. How to follow all these drops that are happening? For example, I I completely missed the X copy one that you just mentioned even though I was meant to be following Xcopy <laughs> to grab one. <laughs> do you yeah, use so, any tools or just through the community? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think, so the model that I have is like, I feel like the, 
the whole Web3 space is growing so fast that you almost have to pick the places that you care about and, and just play in those places. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, being in the right discords will get you access to what's dropping. So if you're in Grailers now, they're always talking about what what's happening on our blocks or any other platform and sharing what people are buying and why they're buying. Um, so there's always good good intel there. Um, so like just, I always just to interrupt you on that. I mean, for me, the 1.25, 1.5 ETH of membership in Grailers, like that's a no brainer, no? Given just that you get notified of all the drops where you can <laughs> enter, no? Not, not, not financial advice, but I, I, I think if you value, if you bought, value the community opinion and seeing what people are buying, I think, I think it's, I think it's a great place if you are really committed to generative art long term and and want to own a piece of a really influential collection. I think it's a, it's an awesome, and that, that's what brought me in. I, you know, in full disclosure, I own two Grellers passes, so, <laughs> or Grellers Dow passes. But um, so yeah, so Send I mean, me <laughs> <laughs> the communities are always uh, really interesting spaces for that. I think uh, I always follow the artists directly on Twitter, although Twitter can get really noisy when you follow a lot of people, but. You know, in this case, X Copy was obviously posting about it, and then I, I think the last piece is like getting into the um, the actual platforms that are dropping and getting closer to those. So, like, you know, Quantum Art for photography. Um, I'm in their Discord. I hold the token key. I hold uh, one of the the very first drop that they did, Anxious Ple Pleasures, by a really talented female photographer. Really awesome uh, piece. There was only 366. I think of those um, uh, photographed and each one's unique. And so, so, you know, being in those discords, I think are really interesting. I'm in the art blocks um, discord as well. And they're always putting alerts around specifically the curated. Um, if you go on to artblocks.io, you can find, um, you know, obviously everything that's happening in the playground space um, as well as the factory space. Um, and there are there like some of the pieces that I collect um, are really awesome. And even like Tyler Hobbs and other people are collecting some of these factory pieces that are like brilliant and they're so well done and, you know, very, very affordable. And so, you know, I think those are the, you know, the usual places that I, I, I tend to kind of see projects, learn about projects, um, and get excited by projects. And then the oh, proof yeah. collective, right? There, we have a, we have a generative <laughs> art uh, channel in there as well. <laughs> so yeah, like the second question was about communities. So I guess we, we mentioned those. And I, I guess to finish off, what would be like the blue chip projects that you would recommend that we check out if we're just starting off? I know you've mentioned strongly the art blocks, the chromey squiggles, sorry. Are there any others that you feel are well-priced still at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of the curated stuff on art blocks is is um, super well-priced. So I think, you know, getting like a, a Century by Casey Reyes at around one ETH is, is an amazing, amazing opportunity. I think, you know, you've heard uh, Kevin Rose talk about an interview, Matt Kane, who did the Gazers piece. I mean, those are getting more expensive. I think the floor is around seven ETH for those, but those are really quite amazing. I'm I'm still a big fan. I mentioned uh, Ben Ben Kovac um, and his his pieces. Um, I think are still around uh, two ETH. There's some cool stuff like um, that's also curated. Like I like the scribbled boundaries. Uh, I think the artist is William Tan on those. Those are well under an ETH, and um, it looks like a lot of scribbled hand drawings, but they're done all by um, machine. Um, there's some stuff on Factory. So like one of the artists on Factory I like um, is he, he did a project called Letters to My Future uh, Self. And it was an artist by the name of, I think it's pronounced uh, Ryan Stroll. Um, but those are like under 0.2 ETH. Um, that's one that Tyler Hobbs actually collects. So I found out about it through his gallery. Um, I like fell in love with them. I think I bought four of them. They're They're super awesome. Um, I mentioned uh, the Rhythm Collection by Jeff da Davis. Um, I think those are super awesome. Uh, Stefano uh, Contera, I love his stuff. I've talked about him a couple of times. So uh, Rina Sita was one of his on, I think it was on uh, Factory. And then he did Fermenti, which was on Curated, oh, okay. um, which are no, really like awesome. I the connection. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he's the one who's doing the Grailer style piece. Um, and then like some, some more recent ones, like... Um, there's a, 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 a European artist, Thomas Lynn uh, Pedersen, who dropped a, a collection called Screens. And it reminds me of like Metropolis, uh, the movie kind of aesthetic sort of meets um, 
some of Ben Kovacs like edifice work. And it was like really super cool, um, very identifiable. And those are still pretty affordable. So I, I just think there's like, there's so much stuff that you can see in the ecosystem of our blocks. A lot of the curated stuff I think is, is really well um, composed and put together. And it's, it's just really interesting to see. Well, yeah, I, I took a lot of notes, so I'll be sure to <laughs> drop a bunch of links in the show notes for, for everyone who's interested in following while we've been mentioning all these projects and communities. And yeah, thanks a lot for this great introduction to generative art. And I'm very curious to start my journey. <laughs> thanks, John. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate the time. All right, guys, that's it for me today. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you are enjoying the podcast Mastermind FM, you can leave a five-star review on iTunes. And you can also contact me, podcast at mastermind.fm or even Twitter at mastermind.fm. You can let me know if you want to discuss any other topics of interest and just give me feedback. Please get in touch. I love hearing from you. And yeah, that's it. See you next week.